Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. There's a peril in neglect what God offers us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? No greater gift can be bestowed upon man than that which is comprehended in Christ. We don't realize the fullness and depth of the gift that we received. A neglect to lay hold of the priceless treasure of salvation, it means the eternal ruin of your soul. The peril of indifference to God and neglect of his gift is measured by the greatness of salvation. I want to talk about what a soul is, the eternal ruin of your soul. In the beginning, when God made Adam, created Adam, he formed him of the dust of the earth. He breathed in his mouth the breath of life, and then Adam became a living soul. This used to be understood in the older dictionaries that a soul was just a human being. They would say, there were 20 souls on board, that sort of thing. And uh, we'll talk about it like nails and boards. Let's say uh, the nails were, or the boards were the, the earth that God formed, and the nails were the breath of life. If you made a box out of the board and nails, you would have a box, but if you took the nails out, the box would go away. Where would it Where would it go? And now you would just have board and nails. And that's what a soul is. That's what happens when you take it apart. You just, there's nothing. We don't have some floaty thing that floats away, that lives, that dwells inside our body. Um, okay, so you'll lose your soul is it, if you don't, if you neglect this great offering of the Lord. God has done to the uttermost of his almighty power everything that he could do for us. The resources of infinite love have been exhausted. In other words, there's nothing else he can do than what he has done. Been exhausted in devising and executing the plan of redemption for man. God has revealed his character in the goodness, the mercy, the compassion, and love manifested to save a race of guilty rebels. Guilty rebels. What could be done that has not been done in the provisions of the plan of salvation? You might ask, well, why did he get so mad when all they did was eat an apple or fruit, whatever it was? I guess the insignificance of the act reveals the total egregiousness of it. God had given them a test. It was so tiny, the tiniest little test, and they failed it. What if he would have given them something important? That just shows how awful their lack of belief of God was. They, their unbelief, they didn't believe God, they believed Satan. So, moving on. God has revealed his character in the goodness, the mercy, the compassion, and love manifested to save a race of guilty rebels. What could be done that has not been done in the provisions of the plan of salvation? If the sinner remains indifferent, to the manifestations of the goodness of God, if he neglects so great salvation, what can be done to touch his hard heart? God doesn't just arbitrarily turn away. He waits until his heart is so hardened that he can no longer respond, and then there's nothing else he can do. And this is the grieving of his spirit, the sin against his spirit. What importance, what magnitude it gives to the theme of redemption that he who has undertaken the salvation of man 
was the brightness of the Father's glory, was the express image of his person. How then can heaven regard those who neglect so great a salvation wrought out for man at such infinite cost? To neglect to lay hold on the rich blessings of heaven is to refuse to set at naught him who was equal with the Father, the only one who could save fallen man. Oh, shall we through neglect of Christ throw away our one chance for eternal life? And that's our one chance for eternal life. We are not eternal souls that at death immediately go to heaven or hell because we can't die. Eternal life is a gift from God to those who obey him. People sleep in their graves until he calls them forth to their reward, whatever that is. What love, what wonderful love was displayed by the Son of God. The death we deserved was suffered to come upon him. That immortality might be given to us who could never merit such a reward. Is not salvation great in its simplicity and wonderful in its comprehension, comprehensiveness? So contemplating the fullness of the provision that God has made, whereby every son and daughter of Adam may be saved. Jesus paid the price so that every human being who has ever lived, if they would have accepted it, they could have been saved. They could be saved. But then he gives us a choice. We're led to exclaim with John, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 1 John 3, 1. The plan of redemption provides for every emergency and for every want of the soul. It provides for every emergency and every want. We just simply need to ask him for it. So Hebrews 2, verse 3 was our verse today. And I want to just give you a really quick little short synopsis of the book of Hebrews. It's an amazing book. It confirms, first of all, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that he was the one by whom God made the worlds. In other words, he was his son before he came here, before incarnation. He was begotten, not created, because verse chapter 1, verse 4 says he was better than the angels. They were created. He was begotten. He was brought forth out of the Father's own substance. Chapter 2, 9 and 10 says that he came to suffer death to bring many sons to glory. And then Hebrews goes deeply into his work as a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the temple in heaven. So many might think that there is no sanctuary in heaven or no uh, judgment going on up there. But in the earthly sanctuary, once the sacrifice was made, the process wasn't done because the altar of sacrifice was outside of the sanctuary, but the priest had to go into the sanctuary. There were two sections that he went into. There was more work that had to be done, and there was a purpose for each one of those sections. They represent different dispensations. And uh, Hebrews talks about this, explains that it was the sanctuary or temple made in heaven, made without hands, in other words, by God himself. So we are to strive, uh, Hebrews tells us, to enter his rest. We keep his Sabbath. We rest in his death and life, his work for us. And that's what Sabbath represents, is that God, he is our God that sanctifies us. And we rest in him as he does it. We just simply have to surrender to whatever method he chooses to use. And chapter 11 talks about faith. And some of the examples of people whose faith are represented in there are kind of pathetic. We know that they weren't perfect. 
Nevertheless, the Lord sees them through Christ. He sees you through Christ and me through Christ. When we have surrendered and we've been justified, he doesn't see us as sinners anymore. He sees his son. It's so amazing. Just like those ones in chapter 11 of Hebrews, when their faith is talked about as though they were perfect, you know, or successful. Okay. Chapter 12 and 13 talks about our obedience and trust through trials. He finishes up with this beautiful exhortation. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. I'm going to read that for you because this is the whole plan of salvation in a synopsis. Very short, very concentrated. I'll read it now. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, uh, he makes us perfect so that we can do his will. That's very clear. Not so that we can continue in sin. He didn't die so that we could do the thing that he had to die for which was sin. He died for our sin. He didn't die so that we could continue doing sin. No, he makes us perfect so that we can do his will. Perfect in every good work. So we can be perfect in our sphere as God is perfect in his sphere. God has absolute perfection. We will continue to grow and mature throughout the path that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Hallelujah. All right, so... um I have written down right here Romans 6.16. I'm not sure why. <laughs> you might want to look it up. All right, I'll move on here. So, um, God has poured out all heaven to give us another probation. So if we neglect this offer, we actually reject it and refuse it. And we don't have any other. There's no other second chance, no other second offer. It's a sad truth. No plan B. Sad truth. Our nature has fallen. We don't find righteous living attractive. You know, you know. here's where we have to decide what the difference is between fun and happiness. Unrighteous life might be fun, but it's not happy. Righteous living, you actually come to find great joy in. You might not consider it fun, but it's very happy. And we are not naturally drawn to God, but God has made a way for us to be restored. We can be changed. We simply, when you recognize it in yourself, look at your life, look at yourself, ask the Lord to help you to ascertain your heart, your thoughts. Your thoughts and your feelings combined make up your moral character. You can know what your moral character is. What are your thoughts and feelings? Your thoughts and feelings go together. You have the thought first and the feeling follows. Do you ever notice that? Okay. God has made a way for us to be restored. We just simply recognize our disagreement with his law of love. We confess it. Lord, I was wrong. I, I repent. That's what repentance means, changing your mind. We receive the truth in Jesus. We turn from our open sin in our life, and we walk with him day by day. There's a little book called Steps to Christ, and there's a couple paragraphs in here I want to share. <laughs> just because it might be helpful to realize that you're not just incorrigible. We all are, but... It is impossible, this is page 20, Steps to Christ. It is impossible for us of ourselves to escape from the pit of sin in which we are sunken. Our hearts are evil. We cannot change them. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. That's, uh, I think, 
Job 14.4, I think that's what that is. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Well, maybe that's Job 14.4, sorry. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, they all have their proper sphere, but here they are powerless. They may produce an outward correctness in behavior, but that can't change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. There must be a power working from within, a new life from above, before men can be changed from sin to holiness. That power is Christ. You might think, well, he'll do that for others, but not for me. I don't feel any power. Give him a chance. His grace alone can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to God. So we're not attracted to God, but his grace can help us to be attracted to God. Attracted to God, to holiness. The Savior said, except a man be born from above, unless he receive a new heart, new desires, purposes, and motives leading to a new life, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The idea that it is necessary only to develop the good that exists in man by nature is a fatal deception. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Of Christ it is written. And that is 1 Corinthians 2.14, I believe. In him, <coughs> sorry. Of Christ it is written, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Oh, I need a drink. <clears throat> the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. It's not enough to perceive the loving kindness of God and to see the benevolence, the fatherly tenderness of his character. It's not enough to discern the wisdom and justice of his law, to see that it is founded upon the eternal principle of love. Paul the Apostle saw all of this when he exclaimed, I consent unto the law, it's good. The law is holy, the commandment holy, just and good. But he added in the bitterness of his soul anguish, I am carnal, sold under sin. He longed for the purity and the righteousness which in himself he was powerless to attain. Many are the figures by which the Spirit of God has sought to illustrate this truth and make it plain to souls that long to be freed from the burden of guilt. When after his sin, we just feel guilty just because we know our nature is wrong. It just gives us a sense of guilt, how far we have fallen from God's standard. So... <clears throat> Jacob, he fled from his father's home. He was weighed down with a sense of guilt, lonely, outcast, separated from all that made life dear. The one thought that above all others pressed upon his soul was the fear that his sin had cut him off from God and he was forsaken of heaven. In sadness, he lay down to rest on the bare earth, around him only the lonely hills. As he slept, a strange light broke upon his vision, and lo, from the plain on which he lay, vast, shadowy stairs seemed to lead upward to the very gates of heaven, and upon them angels of God passing up and down, while from the glory above the divine voice was heard in a message of comfort and hope. Isn't that lovely? The message God has for us, for you, for me, is comfort and hope. Thus was made known to Jacob that which the need and longing of his soul, a Savior, a Savior, is what's going to change it for us. 
So with joy and gratitude, he saw revealed a way by which he, a sinner, could be restored to communion with God. The mystic ladder of his dream represented Jesus, the only medium of communication between God and man. And one last paragraph, page 24. Oh, let us contemplate the amazing sacrifice that has been made for us. Let us try to appreciate the labor and energy that heaven is expending to reclaim the lost and bring them back to the Father's house. Motives stronger, agencies more powerful could never be brought into operation. The exceeding rewards for right doing, the enjoyment of heaven, the society of the angels, communion and love of God and his Son, the elevation and extension of all our powers throughout eternal ages. Are these not mighty incentives and encouragement to urge us to give the heart's loving service to our Creator and Redeemer? Let us place ourselves in right relation to him who has loved us with amazing love. Avail ourselves of the means provided for us, that we may be transformed into his likeness, restored to fellowship with the ministering angel, to harmony and communion with the Father and the Son. And here is that one little trait of Jesus I'm trying to add every day. Desire of Ages, page 43. He shunned all outward display. Greatness can never save a soul. We don't have to try to be great. We don't have to have outward display. Neither did Jesus. Let's close with prayer. Oh, wait, I think I had a little promise I wanted to read. John 14, 1 and 2. There it is. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your promise. You've made a place for us and a way to restore us. We don't have to feel these feelings and thoughts anymore. We can give them to you every hour if they come up. Continually give them to you, and you will take them from us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for protection from evil today for those who are listening. Those who have joined me this morning, help us not to neglect this great plan that you have made for us to be restored. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you today, brothers and sisters. Take good care. I'll see you in the morning.